Welcome to the Reform Rookie Podcast. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so? Worthy vicar, do we find anything here of relics? By faith man lives and is made righteous, not by what he does for himself. Be it adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchase of pardon for his sins, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, if you sweep away all good works, all these glorious things you dismiss as mere crutches, what will you put in their place? Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. Okay, so last week we started Leviticus 4. We read through the entire chapter, and um, we talked about some of the spiritual elements of, of what is going on there and started to hint at things to come because, uh, you know, fortunately, um, some people, you know, if, if you're under faithful teaching and preaching, you will hear about um, some of these Old Testament passages. Part of the reason why we're doing Leviticus, uh, we mentioned early on, uh, Pastor Jensen is preaching through Hebrews, and he mentioned wanting to uh, do the scripture readings through Leviticus because Hebrews utilizes much of Leviticus um, in, in talking about Christ and how he's the fulfillment of the sacrifices and so much of what's going on. And so, so many people would ignore Leviticus and not understand it, and yet when the author of Hebrews is trying to give this you know, magnum opus about how wonderful, how amazing, how glorious Christ is, He's referencing Hebrews, uh, Leviticus quite a bit. So um, so we see some of these spiritual realities in here, what these sacrifices are, are pointing to, and ultimately pointing to Christ. Uh, but we were hinting at some of the things that Gary North has been kind of fleshing out for us as we consider his commentary, as I kind of talk you guys through some of that, and just realizing the impact, the relevance a book uh, like Leviticus has on us today, how it still applies today, what principles are still there that are relevant and that we should be aware of. Because if we're looking at a society properly, if we're trying to understand, when we see, as we see today, what a mess things are, like, where would you begin to make things better? And as Gary North says, I'm writing for an audience that doesn't exist yet. He's, he's waiting for that audience who says, okay, how do we apply God's word to this area? And Leviticus actually helps us to see some of that. And so one of the things that we, we mentioned last time was as we looked at the chapter, as we considered the sacrifices and who was giving them, uh, the priest, the, the high priest is the one who gives the most expensive uh, the most valuable sacrifice in giving the bull. And the only other entity that has to offer that valuable sacrifice is the entire congregation if they're guilty of sin. And then when we go to the civil ruler, uh, leader, you know, whether it be an elder, a, a chief, a, a king even, there's no distinction made. It's just if, a, if, if one of the leaders, let me, I've got all these notes in front of me. I don't have my Bible open to Leviticus. Shame on me. Um, so I can turn there, right? But when a leader sins, right? So just 
the Lederson's, and they have to offer, uh, you know, a, a male goat. And if, if one of the common folk, one of us ordinary citizens, if we sin, you know, we have to offer a, a female. And so there's the the value of the sacrifice. In fact, for those who are economically, you know, they're they're struggling, they're poor. Um, God gives a sliding scale so that they can offer sacrifice, recognize their sin, and 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 acknowledge that before God. But He makes it possible for them without bankrupting them. And we talked about the stewardship involved in sacrifices that we're not giving God everything. He's entitled to everything, but while when we when we give you know uh, this valuable sacrifice, we're acknowledging He owes. He, he's owed everything, and yet he gives us stewardship of the rest, but we're acknowledging that we're supposed to honor him. So, uh, you know, it'll talk about it more in, in chapter 5 about less valuable offerings for the sake of purification, for the sake of covering uh, of a sin. And, you know, we talked about how these sins are unintentional. Um, God does not uh, take lightly high-handed sins, those that are, are known about, acted in, and, and done with a, a proud heart, with a rebellious heart. These are just showing the seriousness of even if you don't realize you've sinned, if you've, if you've done something that God says not to do and you become aware of it, God says you must offer sacrifice. There needs to be a, a covering there. And so that could be any number of things. If you think back to the... Uh, if you're familiar with your Old Testament history in King Josiah, and they find the book of the law. And so, like, he was already making certain reforms and doing certain things and trying to bring the temple back up to where it should be. Uh, and he realizes, we've been ignoring God in all sorts of ways. His wrath must be great. And so he goes to try to uh, find out what can be done about it. And so there are times where things can be done in ignorance. You know, um, sin is sometimes referred to as missing the mark. You know, it's not necessarily an overt thing where you go out of your way to break the but you're not living up to the high standard of God's calling. His his standard is perfection, and we're all short of it. Um, you know, so does that make sense? We're clear. Any questions so far? I'm just trying to do a pretty quick summary of some of the things that we talked about last time. Um, questions, comments so far? We're all good? Okay, so... Talking about the responsibility of the of the high priest, representative of the congregation, and you know the the corporate responsibility of the congregation as a congregation, and we're going to start to get into that uh, a bit more this evening, and um, it'll actually be that's the majority of what's going to be going on as we discuss Leviticus four um, over the next however many sessions, so. The purpose of the purification offering or the sin offering was to restore sinful people to God. Uh, we talked about how when it was the priest or when it was the congregation, like the blood had to be brought in, not just at the altar and cover the altar. And our brother Lawrence was here last week and he talked about, you know, what, what the altar symbolizes and, and the earth and the need for the blood to cover and to atone for the sin. We've polluted the world with our sin. And we have to understand just how serious th that is. There needs to be, uh, you know, the, the wages of sin is death. There, there needs to be blood for the uh, forgiveness of sins. And so that blood is a, is a covering over. But here to, you know, have relationship with God, like we talked about the burnt offering, 
so many sessions ago and just how we need that covering to come in but if that's just our our general sinfulness as a people we, we are a corrupt people from our father adam down but the, the sin offering was when there was a particular violation of god's law we need to acknowledge that and just to even have um the place where god dwells that he would stay and dwell among them that had to be purified it had to be atoned for we were polluting the sanctuary that he dwells in to be close to us and so again needed that blood covering christ is that ultimate sacrifice he cleanses all things he's making all things new um, but talking about you know god not dwelling with the people if they sin in such a way that he removes himself his presence from them and um if you think about that it, you know who kept coming to mind for me as i was reading through this and i'm just thinking about this uh the commentary and i'm thinking about the chapter thinking about hophni and phineas if you're familiar in in the very beginning of first samuel uh, uh you know, the high priest also the judge uh is eli and his sons are wicked they're they're uh described as worthless men who did not know the lord and yet they are the mediators they're the ones who are taking sacrifice from the people and you know a portion of it's supposed to be consumed and given to god and they get a portion of it and they're not giving god his due they're taking the fat before it's been consumed you know if the people say hey you're not supposed to do that they're threatening them with force i mean they have gone full-on corrupt right and it was the lord's desire to put them to death and i hope i'm not getting ahead of myself but if i am it's only a little bit here are these priests they represent the entire congregation and god is going to judge them for their sin and later on when god is telling eli about his sin and not you know in honoring his sons more than him allowing this to go on not taking care of things he should have put them to death he seems like that seems like a very hard thing for uh, a father to have to do but to realize the guilt that these priests are bringing on the entire congregation i mean he's the high priest if anyone should know leviticus 4 not that it had a chapter there but if anyone knows the scroll of leviticus at that time what does it say if it's right there in the first um in the third verse here as we have it if it is the anointed priest who sins thus bringing guilt on the people that's their sin brings guilt on the people because they represent and we talked about the importance of that last time and we're going to discuss a little bit more today as far as the, the hierarchy and and again the importance of understanding biblical covenants and how god works with people um in covenant relationship and so there's responsibility there's a, a hierarchy but these men were bringing guilt on the whole people and even if they had complained about it they the people are also guilty because they should have done more right they should have been either going to eli themselves and demanding justice looking to other levites or priests to do something to rein them in you know not taking part in fasting and praying crying out to god these people had a relationship with god um that was different than what we have in in some sense like they didn't have the indwelling holy spirit you know moses uh the 70 elders are anointed and they're you know speaking um prophecies and stuff like that and joshua sees two in the camp and says ah stop them he goes you worried about me he goes i wish everyone had the spirit and pentecost is moses prayer <laughs> his desire 
finally fulfilled, that we would be anointed for service unto the Lord God, right? And so Joshua sees us like, oh, no, what are they doing? Um, but God in dwelling with his people made himself, no, they had the, uh, the Umum and the Thumum, or the Urum, Urum and Thumum, I always can mispronounce. God would answer them. You know, we have the canon of scripture. We have the completed canon. We have the entire word of God. We do have the indwelling spirit. We have teachers. We have all these things. We have more than they had. Um, but God would give them specific answers this way and that way. He, he would have dealt with them properly if the people, as a corporate body, cried out to the Lord, please deal with this. But they didn't. You know, there were some complaints, whatever. But how many times do we see that? And, and you might... I'm jumping ahead of myself. If you're thinking to yourself, I can't believe they let this happen. These guys are clearly in the wrong and they're just doing whatever. But in our modern context, how often do we see that? The, the cult of personality, uh, celebrity pastors or whatever, they're not doing the right thing. But people who are under them, oh, no, they can do no wrong. Or, oh, it's not that big a deal. Or, oh, touch not the Lord's anointed is, you know, the favor of the, you know, anyway. Having that sort of attitude is elevating man over God and, and not, not doing what it takes to strive after holiness and to understand just how serious sin is and just how uh, devastating the impact can be on the people as a corporation, as a corporate body. So it's something we don't appreciate. And, and this is one of the things that we're going to talk about, if not tonight, hopefully soon. Um, probably not tonight, but in terms of, we think in terms of individuals. When you hear about someone talking about Jesus, what do you often hear? Someone says, they'll describe Jesus for me. What's the typical evangelical answer? He's my savior. savior. You guys are reformed. No, <laughs> he's my what? Best friend. Best friend. What? Personal, oh, okay. personal Lord and Savior. And indeed, he is. He calls his sheep by name. He is personal. And so we don't want to lose that. But people wrongly emphasize that personal as just like they, they eschew religion. Oh, it's just me and Jesus, right? It's a relationship. And it is, but it's also a religion. I just saw someone sharing a new series, something against canceling religion or something like that. I was like, hmm, sorry, James. <laughs> I guess, you know, pure and undefiled religion needs to be canceled, right? We're only worried about relationships. Um, we have to understand religion is not a bad word. Religion is our relationship with God, but there's a true religion, and then there's many counterfeit religions. Um, okay, so we have Hophni and Phineas. We have their sin. And what does this mean for the corporate body? Like when we think about Leviticus 4, as we consider, you know, uh, you know, an Old Testament example of how this played out. Here, they're incurring guilt because they're sinning. In this case, it's not, um, it's not even unintentional. If there was any error by ignorance or somehow something slipped their mind, or they, if they weren't aware, it was pointed out to them. And the response wasn't, oh, I'm sorry, let's get the purification offering out. <laughs> no, it's like, give it to me or I'll take it by force. You know, at this point, we're high-handed and God is, is, he's intent on putting them to death. But the body, 
the congregation of Israel is also suffering for that because they're allowing it to go on. They're allowing it to affect how they're sacrificing or if they're even choosing to sacrifice and be part of it. And they're also being misled by the teaching and everything. Later on, um, we have this prophecy. Uh, to, God tells Eli, you know, I'm going to, going to punish them and this will be the sign. Your sons are going to die on the same day. Right. You know, in the, here in the prime of life, I mean, one, you know, had a child being born and the child's name is becomes Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed. Why? Because they're going against their enemies, the Philistines, and the Philistines are drawing up against them. And they decide to take the ark into battle as if that would somehow garner favor with God because, well, there the ark was. So there his presence was. Yet they... <laughs> They weren't purifying themselves, and they weren't purifying their dwelling place. And this is the sanction that God says, if you don't, I won't dwell with you. <laughs> you have polluted it, right? And so what happens is God's favor is his, uh, when I say presence, obviously I hope we all understand God is <laughs> uh, omnipresent, right? He, he's everywhere. Um, but his presence in a way that would be saving it would be favorable it would deliver them from their enemies is he there with them no they go to battle and they you know they have this mighty roar of, of triumph like oh the ark's with us we have victory and the philistines are terrified because they know there's a god in the camp based on their reaction and they know they know the history almost better than the israelites do these are, this is the god who you know destroyed the egyptians he goes quick men fight <laughs> we're not gonna become slaves to them like they are to us and they fight and god lets them win and the ark is taken and for seven months it's in the land of the philistines doesn't go too well for the Philistines because God is not mocked and he's not going to be some trinket of war. You know, everywhere the ark goes, trials go. There's tumors, there's plagues, people are dying. They can't get rid of that thing fast enough uh, to get away. But the people, you know, finally it's sent back to Israel and they just kind of leave it over here because they tried to look in it. A bunch of people die. You know, they didn't respect the ark the way it was supposed to. And so it sits for 20 years before they finally cry out to God recognizing the Philistines are oppressing them. They're at a loss and they need the Lord. And so, you know, first Samuel is coming to the end of judges, which, you know, if you're familiar with the stories there, it's a sin cycle. Every time the people would go their own way, they'd engage in idolatry. They forget the Lord, their God, and God would allow an enemy to rise up and oppress them. And then they'd be under slavery, under oppression for 20 years, 40, they'd cry out to God He'd raise up a judge and deliver him. And on and on it went. And so finally, um, Samuel becomes the last judge before the monarchy uh, comes into effect. Um, but what do we see here? These people were sinning against God. The priests were sinning. The people weren't doing anything about it. They're both guilty. There's no purification offering. And what happens? God's saving presence, him dwelling, all the promises that he offers them in books like Leviticus and books like Deuteronomy about if they will obey. If they obey, they can come and they can travel long distances to these feasts and these festivals, leave their crops, leave their homes, leave everything, and not have to worry about some marauding band coming in and plundering them while they're away in Jerusalem or wherever God has said his name at that point. They didn't know. Um, but he says, if you obey and if you come, 
no one will harm you. Can you imagine that promise? Like, listen, you know, people are like, I live in a bad neighborhood. I can't leave my house to go to church. <laughs> Someone's going to break in. I got that new TV. And God says, if you go to church, I promise no one's going to rob your place. <laughs> like, but the door's broken. <laughs> like, the lock's broken. The door is always creeping open. I'd have to be there. And God says, I'll take care of it. And he would do that if they would obey. But because they didn't, God would remove his hand of protection and the enemies would come in. That's what happened with the Philistines with, um, in the case of Eli and Hophni and Phineas. Does that make sense? Does everyone see that as an actual example of what happens when you don't, when you don't do that offering, when you don't acknowledge God, when you don't acknowledge your sin? God had given them a sacrifice to cover their sins, even inadvertent sins, even, uh, well, not, I mean, not even, especially, I mean, specifically, I should say, high-handed sins, there was no saving Hophni and Phineas. Like, eventually, Eli said something to him, like, listen, if, if man has a problem with man, God can mediate, but if you have, if you wrong God, who's going to mediate for you? Um, but they wouldn't listen, but God said, but he intended to put them to death. He, he allowed their hearts to be as hard as it was. He, there was no more common grace for them in that sense. The restraining hand was off, and he was letting them, you know, store up their, their iniquity, and he was going to put them down. But that's an example of what happens when the representative is sinning, <laughs> or the corporate body sins, even if it's inadvertent, even if they're not the ones who are doing it, they might be trying to do the right thing. But if they're not looking to God, you have to understand um, you know, we sometimes think as a people like, well, how much can we do, you know, and we can actually do a lot. We have, a not just that we can do a lot, um, we're obligated to do a lot. We're obligated to recognize as a people, our responsibility to act. Um, and so we don't think about that nowadays in our modern culture. And we'll talk about a little bit of how, you know, that's enlightenment thinking. And, you know, in, in the time of the enlightenment, there was like the right wing and the left wing, you know, um, both were wrong in their own different ways, but we've kind of adopted most conservative type evangelical. We've adopted the right wing thinking, you know, and we don't even realize it, but again, that's definitely getting ahead of myself. So we'll, um, let's, um, move on for a second. Any questions about that? Any, any question or comment? Erica. It's still applicable to us. It's different in a way. I mean, Christ is our sacrifice. And, you know, for those who understand the doctrines of grace, if you're saved, you're saved. Um, but are there consequences to our sin? Are there consequences to our actions? If um, can, can we continue to sin against God? Pick a sin, financially, sexually. Can we continue to do something that God in his word forbids and expect God to bless us? Like, I want to have a healthy, secure retirement. 
you know, can I go around and just blow my money on any stupid thing on the home shopping network <laughs> or any, any time I go to a gas station, there's those dollar scratch. If I just keep blowing my money on stupid things, you know, and not being a responsible steward of my money as God has told me to and never tithing or giving anything to the kingdom, can I expect God to bless me in the future or, you know, the, the protection that comes from God, he works most often in, in natural ways. There's natural consequences. People suffer for their sins and they don't blame, well, sometimes they blame God. They're just angry, like, this is God's fault. Like, you did all this stuff. And now you're just kind of reaping what you've sown. But God works within the world. And, and you know, we sometimes bring our consequences upon ourselves. You know, oh, we're a nation who likes to interfere in other people's, in other nations' elections. We like to pull strings. We like puppet governments because they work for us. Can we expect God to bless us? Or all of a sudden people want to mess with our election. Hey, that's not fair. We, we are reaping what we've sown. We're losing God's blessing. But it happens just in the normal course of events. You sin against someone or, or a group of people. And they're going to look to sin back against you. I mean, that's why God would judge a nation. He says, here's Assyria, my, my, you know, you know, uh, my rod, you know, to punish. And then he's going to punish Assyria later on because they didn't do it to honor him. They did it because they just, they had their own sinful motivations, but God uses it. So he'll, even in the life of a believer, he will take away certain protections. He will allow us to experience the consequences of our sin. So the, the principles still apply. Christ is a sacrifice. We don't have to bring an extra sacrifice to atone for it. But how do we gain hold of the value of that sacrifice? We confess our sins. We repent. And then we get to experience forgiveness. And there are times where we see that you know God restores what the locusts have eaten, as it were. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. You. you got it. Maria had her hand up. Yeah, I was just thinking of like Deuteronomy 28 when mm -hmm. he was outlined it pretty accurately. And, you know, the significance of Christ telling his disciples, if you love me, you will obey me, mm -hmm. where it's really not even a testament of our love so much as it's like it's the one request he makes and it's really for the believer's benefit mm -hmm. because of the natural blessings that come with obedience in terms of the avoidance mm -hmm. of the consequences of sin, which is it's significant when you really follow that pattern in terms of like the consequences of Satan's death and what it just reaps naturally as a result. Mm -hmm. yeah. Especially when you think about the degradation of society when we look away from God's statutes. And I was reading in Jeremiah just a few days ago where it was just like if a nation like obeys my my laws and talks about like the natural blessings that they will receive, mm -hmm. I you can. Um, let me make a comment, and um, if I can, if I, we'll get back to you. If uh, if either I'll finish my comment and let you go, or I'll let Sarah go, and and we'll see how quickly you find it. But but there is a reality of that. And we've talked several times about how when God is giving the the land of Canaan to the Israelites, He's telling them um, here in Leviticus later on uh, in the later chapters. He'll give the holiness code and, and he'll give all these like, you know, like sexual ethics and stuff like that about certain things. And he goes, you know, don't do this. And what he says is, 
these nations that I'm driving out before you, they did all of these things. So this wasn't a nation that had their own constitution and they were violating it. He said, they violated my law. And so I'm casting them out and giving you the land. And if you violate my law, I will cast you out likewise. Um, so there is that understanding that all mankind is responsible to God for his law, not their own arbitrary standard of morals. They're obligated to obey him. Uh, Romans talks about the same thing. Paul in Romans talks about how the Gentile, who doesn't have the law like the Jew does, doesn't have that special revelation, he's got a conscience that accuses him or excuses him, and he shows that the works of the law are written on his heart. And so they have this responsibility. So yes, if they obey, they'll actually be blessed. And we see that common grace. America was not filled with Christians, you know, throughout our borders, even as colonies. But because there were many Christians, uh, because the world in, in that area, um, and, you know, stemming from Europe and stuff, was so saturated by uh, the gospel and, and the truths found in the gospel and, and the, the principles of, of God's word, because they did that, even though there was still sin there was still wrong perspectives on things like the way they did slavery at that point with the you know that was really man stealing even in their sin no nation is perfect no one's going to be perfect until glory um but as much as they were obedient in so many different ways they experienced blessings we we came from a you know a ragtag bunch of colonies that are trying to figure out if they're going to work together or not to eventually being a, a world power that happens by god's blessing stop people on the pit. i'm not talking about manifest okay. destiny okay. i'm just saying the fact that i have disagreements about how america went about things early on but there were aspects of god's blessing you know um Listen, God will also raise up a nation to punish other nations and then punish them if they're not doing the right thing. Um, we can talk about all the whatever particular details. Some you might be surprised at what my stance on it would be, um, and, and some not. But that is what they call a rabbit trail, <laughs> that I'm not chasing that rabbit tonight. Um, you don't want to end up in Wonderland? I don't want <laughs> no, Definitely not. Um, did you have, did you want to share the reference in Jeremiah? So it wasn't an exaltation of nations that obey his law, it was like a reprimand and also an encouragement to the obey law. If we look at it like in terms of an inverse, it's Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10. If at any time I declared concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will fuck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from the people, I will relent of the disaster I intend to do to it. Mm -hmm. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I have intended to do to it. Right. And it's just like we really subscribe to either the forces of good or evil. Yeah, there's there's no third option. There's no neutrality. Um, and so uh, that when we look when we look at America, like there's blessings, but you know we turn aside and there's curses. First and foremost, you look at Israel. <laughs> he promises blessings and prosperity, um, and ultimately, you know, through the promised seed, the true Israel, Jesus Christ, there is blessing, and there's blessings for all the families of the world, right? Um, but as a as a people, as you know, that they experience destruction, leading you know, 
climaxing with, with uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD. Um, so there's that. But think about Nineveh. You know, Jonah goes to Nineveh and pre proclaims judgment. <laughs> 30 days and Nineveh's going to be overthrown. And they're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> and they repent. I mean, they got the animals in sackcloth and ashes. Like, they're serious. <laughs> We're sorry. And God relents. And so that is that is the encouragement. If I promise this devastation and destruction and you repent, I'll relent. If I promise you blessings and you stop... <laughs> you know, living in a way that would give me the reason to bless you, then I will relent of that and I'll destroy you instead. Um, so there's that. You know, Christ says to, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, right? And, and this is the calling that he has on us. And, and you know, you mentioned this, this is for our good, you know. Humanly speaking, um, pragmatically speaking, like, God's ways are good. It's, it's his world. It's his economy, so to speak, like the entire thing, right? It's all his. So if you function within his framework, you're going to do better, you know, all things being equal. Of course, we know that even if you do all these things according to his law with no love for him, but only looking out for yourself, you might experience a degree of success and then go straight to hell when you die, right? You know, following those things and seeing success does not save you salvifically. There is still sin that you can just never atone for. Only Christ. Christ is the you know the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through Him. And so we have to recognize He's our means of salvation. He is the only means of salvation. And when we obey Him, we it is for our good, but it brings Him glory. Think about what He says to His uh, disciples, like you know. When you do good works, what's going to happen? You'll be successful? No. You'll see the Father and glorify That's right. The people will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You know, Lawrence again, talking about Sunday school. Um, go to hopereformli.net and go to Sunday school and listen to uh, today's on the 7th. And he was talking about, like, we're image bearers of God, and we're supposed to reflect his image and reflect praise back to him, right? And that's what we're called to do. Why do we obey God's commandments? Because they are a reflection of his character, and we glorify him by acknowledging that and giving it back to him and, and being faithful and obedient to what he has called us to. And so that's why we don't have an appreciation we compare ourselves by ourselves and say, I'm pretty good. I'm a good person. I'm not like my neighbor down the street and doing all the stuff they're doing. And God's looking at Christ. We don't, we don't fit. We don't, we don't match that bar. And no one can. That's why Christ had to come. Because none of us could have earned that salvation. And so we needed the forgiveness of sins that comes through him. Purification, offering, sin offering, that's Christ. I will bring it back to the chapter. <laughs> Go ahead, Sarah. Did you have a question or comment? Well, sort of like it's answering my own question, but like you said, there's only sacrifices for unintentional sins. Um, yes and no. Um, with this, with the purification offering, the sin offering, um, this is for unintentional sins. There's sins where you know it talks about the guilt offering, um, you know, the reparation offering, and if you know, still trying to wrestle through and, and piece that together. Because, like, for instance, if you um, steal something, right, um, 
Now, if you steal something and you do it in a high-handed fashion and you don't care and you don't try to um, make it right, um, whether you're encouraged to because they've grabbed you, <laughs> you know, or figured it out, um, you'll bear your iniquity, right? Um, if, if we don't seek to have that restoration. But um, in, in the next chapter or chapter six, uh, it talks about, you know, um, and that goes along with the um, kind of like the fifth point of the covenant about succession. And we talked about how like even the, the Ten Commandments, you know, um, about honoring your parents and then not coveting. But this idea of future, right, um, uh, of our, our inheritance, um, the things that God has given us. Um, you know, so we're told with the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, um, that it may go well with you and that you might live long in the land, right, that you'd have succession, um, you know. And then, you know, for the tenth commandment about thou shalt not covet your neighbor's donkey, his spouse, or whatever, none of those things, because that is what God has given him as his inheritance, you know, and so you're not to desire it. Um, and so if you take something that doesn't belong to you, you have to... Um, restore it, but add a portion onto it, right? So there is um, there is an offering there where you can, um, well, in that case, it's repaying what you've taken and, and adding to it, and, you know, there's sacrifices for that. But, so yeah, so it's, but if there's, if there are things that are done intentionally, you know, we're told time and again that they'll bear their guilt, you know, they're to be cut off from their people, you know, um, they'll bear their iniquity, those kind of things, and and you don't see anything. You know, like uh, adultery. Um, you know, the penalty is death. So, the, I mean, there's certain sins that there, there's not a sacrifice that would uh, cover in that sense. Um, again, because these are not just sins; they're also crimes, and and in God's economy, something things have to be dealt with. Uh, does that answer your question, or do you have a you need clarification? Moses when he like deliberately disobeyed God's command and struck the rock. Yeah. Would that be a case of him like after that point? Well, obviously God punished him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't let him go into the promised land. land. But like say like he probably repented of it. But mm -hmm. would that be his sacrifice? Would he be looking forward to Christ? Like a case? Would he that still... cover that? Because obviously he was punished, but he's still like a he, Christian. Yeah, so, yeah. He's yeah. still he's still in covenant with God. Um. Ultimately, we know that there was forgiveness for him, uh, but yeah, he did he did have uh, a severe penalty because of his position. You know, sometimes the bigger the stage, the, the more responsibility you have, the greater the consequences when you do have, you know, uh, a sin, you know, uh, you know what they might call a moral failing or, or whatever. There, there's the bigger it is, the, the bigger the consequences, and so he did have that. I mean, God still showed his graciousness to him he showed him the land that he was going to give like this is <laughs> moses moses put 40 years carrying these people around you know and he loved these people though they you know probably <laughs> made all his hair completely white you know and, and you know uh put him on his knees and his face in prayer you know more times than he could ever count um he loved these people and he, he, you know, we, we joke sometimes. We talk about, like, now Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And, like, says Moses. <laughs> you know, like, he wrote this, right? Um, but actually, probably, that was probably an editorial thing that came on later on, like, by Joshua or something like that. Um, but he was humble, 
right? And he had a love for the people. God offered to like, you know what? <laughs> Let's wipe them all out and we'll start again with you. <laughs> and Moses goes, no, no, no. <laughs> and part of it is his concern for the people. Part of it even more so really it's his concern for the lord this is how much he loves the lord and the glory of the lord he doesn't want anyone to be able to malign god and say oh look the god of israel brought them out of egypt and then didn't have the strength to get them into the land so he decided to just kill them to you know kind of erase the whole problem and so he didn't want anyone to to be able to to, to somehow slander god or malign god and so he says you know for your glory for this you know. um but he begs god to, to come with them you know to to go with them so he, he loves the Lord, he loves the people, um, and he served. And God shows him the land that he was going to uh, give to these people, the inheritance. And he wouldn't let them go in, but later on, Moses got to go in, and he was talking to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So, so he got there, yes. <laughs> you know. Steve. So the sacrifice of, of bulls and goats were for unintentional sins only? If you intentionally sinned and you, was there room for repentance and sacrifice to atone for to cover sin under the, the Old Testament? Under the law, no. No. Well, where's Lawrence? I want Lawrence to, to fact check me and back me up on something. Yes. Is that why David says, like, if you were, if there was given offering, it's not an offering, you desire to burn a contrite spirit, and he's like, right. um, you want an offering, I would give it, but you don't want that. So he like, repented. I guess it was like, because he was a Christian, so I guess his faith was in the Messiah, I guess. Yeah. So that's one person. Any, now keep in mind, you know, these are covenant people, but as, you know, people are in disagreement about the, the covenant and, and, and the status of it and, you know, the old versus the new and stuff. Um, but the covenant people of God, one second, um, not all of them were genuine believers. <laughs> Not all of them were, you know, um, looking with faith to uh, the Messiah to come. And again, Hebrews talks about that. Hebrew talks about the fact that, you know, that he wasn't pleased with most of them and laid them in the desert. Why? Because their hearing was not united with faith. And so they were God's covenant people, but they broke covenant. I, I think the, the, the correct understanding of the you know, Mosaic Covenant is the covenant of works republished. Um, Paul refers to the covenants of promise when he's talking to the Gentiles and he's saying that you guys were strangers, you know, aliens to the covenants, plural, of promise, right? And so our, our Presbyterian brothers, uh, Paedobaptists, they look at oh, the covenant of grace like as soon as Adam sinned, the covenant of grace is in effect. You know, or, or from Abraham, and, and here's this covenant of grace where it's coming because God is doing this stuff. Um, but these were covenants of promise, and they weren't purely of grace because if if the if the covenant of works wasn't in effect anymore, then what was Jesus born into? What was he? If he was born into the covenant of grace, what did he have to do? <laughs> right? It's already there. Um, so the the covenant of works, God is detailing out what holiness looks like, and it's. It's not really meant to like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> You've missed the point. <laughs> if you look at all that law and you think about all the cleanness and, and you think about the idea of not doing any high-handed sins, like you never sin intentionally. Because um, this stuff would haunt me when I was younger. It was like, oh, that's not good. You know, I knew I shouldn't have done that. You know, <laughs> am, I, am I dead? You know, but 
those kind of things to show the holiness of God, <laughs> to show just how desperate we were for a redeemer and a savior, we should have realized. You know, so, you know, you have um, these purification offerings, the sin offerings, you have the burnt offering, you know, you have all these offerings that are just showing you how much blood has to be shed for you to even be able to approach God and not be <laughs> destroyed. Right. Um, and so ultimately Christ would do that. And we should still take it very seriously. We should still take intentional sin very, very seriously. When we know something is wrong and we're like, it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is permission. <laughs> We've lost the plot and we have to be careful. I mean, Hebrews talks about, you know, going on and, and sinning and trampling the blood of the covenant. John tells us that, you know, those who are in Christ, like, they don't go on sinning. And some people mistake that to understand, like, I'm sinless, right? Because God, if I'm in Christ, I, I we don't sin anymore. It says right there. No, <laughs> you don't make a practice of sinning. You're not continually in the habit of sinning, right? If you're in Christ, you're holy, right? You're not a slave to sin. You're, you're you know, the Romans tells us to reckon ourselves dead to sin but alive to God. We should have an entirely different outlook on life. And when we fail, when we do sin, when we find ourselves falling into sin, we have to get on our face and repent. And there might be consequences to that. There's things that we'll have to deal with. But Christ is, <laughs> he is merciful. When we think of some of our heroes and the fact that they did find forgiveness. I, I love to tell a story because I didn't appreciate it until I guess experience made me <laughs> appreciate it. But I, I talk to people sometimes who they are plagued by guilt. They're believers, they've confessed Christ as their savior, and they struggle with things that they've done in the past, right? And I say, think about David. <laughs> you know, David has all these blessings from God. You know, God has just cared for him, watched out for him, given him the kingdom, given him everything, and he goes and takes another man's wife, and he commits adultery with her. He gets her pregnant, and does he repent? No. No, he tries to get the guy to come home, leave the battlefield, and have a night with his wife so he thinks that the baby's his baby, right? To try to cover up. The man is more righteous than he. He's like, all oh, my fellow soldiers are out in the field, in the mud, in the tents. I'm going to go enjoy a bath and a, and a night with my wife. So he's sleeping outside with the servants. David's like, oh. he, gets, he makes them drunk. He's like, drink with the king. Who's going to turn down a couple extra drinks with the king? He gets drunk. And even drunk, he goes and lays down with the servants. He won't go back to his house. right? And so David sends him with his own execution order back to Joab. And he says, let him get close to the front and then pull back and let him die. And he says, don't worry about it. You know, the sword takes one man, takes another. So commits adultery. He murders a man with his power, right, after he can't cover up his sin. And this goes on and on. People are aware of it. Joab knows. Joab knows what's going on. He tells the servant to, like, go back and say how Uriah the Hittite died. And, but he goes, don't tell him yet. Tell him that we lost and we hurt. And, and then when he says something, um, why did you do that? He goes, and, and Uriah the Hittite's dead. Joab had a wicked sense of uh, <laughs> sarcasm and humor. He, he, was a, he was a dark dude. Um, I don't usually go into this much story. I, I, I speak long enough as it is. But I said, here's David. He commits adultery. <laughs> He commits murder, right? He's done 
high sin, deserving on death on several accounts. You know, and when Nathan has to come to him and says, look at this story. This guy stole this, <laughs> this guy, he has flocks of sheep. And he takes his neighbor one sheep that the guy loved like a daughter. You know, he would feed it and hold the, hold the sheep in his arms. And David's like, he deserves to die. And Nathan has to tell him, you're the man. And Saul, his predecessor, who made excuse after excuse for why he didn't obey God, you know, trying to justify it away. David does none of that. What does David say? I've sinned. He's got nothing else to say. I just, I've sinned. You know the next line. <laughs> Nathan says, and God has taken away your sin. Just like that. That's grace. That's amazing. That's what we need. David was wealthy, but he, there was no price he could pay to make that go away. There was no amount of good deeds he could do to take that away. So yes, he did sin. You can't say it was unintentional. It was intentional every step of the way. And there was forgiveness. But there was consequences, if you know David's life. Maria. Is that the significance then, maybe, of the baby dying? Like, it's a microcosm of Christ and the fact that innocence of a child? That could certainly be a part of it. That could certainly be a picture of it, yeah. The law would have required for him to pay for his life and he doesn't mm -hmm. he's not killed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That can certainly be. God God works in pictures and um we see, you know he he doesn't say it, he just says that he's gonna take the life of that child. Um you know, and as far as that goes, I mean we look and, and we look at, you know, children suffering in the world and, and babies die. Um and people have different you know, theology and doctrine on what they think happens to babies. But we know that God is just and he will do no wrong. And so we can trust that whatever he does is right, even if our finite minds can't understand it, right? Um, so we have that and we see Christ is the one who comes. He, he suffers for us. He's born into this world as a baby, takes on flesh, lives this life, never sinning, never violating, you know, um, he would probably do certain sacrifices as identifying with the people, but would never have to offer a sin offering, <laughs> you know, he's the great high priest who doesn't have to atone for his own sin before he can reach the people, he, um, he gives, you know, he brings himself in as the perfect sacrifice, and so we should recognize just how much we need grace, and but we should recognize just how serious um, sin is, and so these are valuable offerings for unintentional sins. And high-handed sins, we have no promise of a covering. We cannot presume on the kindness of God. Um, God is merciful, and he may forgive. Um, but we certainly don't want to presume on it. Uh, we see examples in Hebrews and in First uh, John about, you know, we could be deceiving ourselves. And Paul says, you know, examine yourself, see if you're in the faith. You know, there are people who do deceive themselves. Jesus talks about people deceiving themselves and saying, oh, Lord, Lord, didn't, you know, didn't I do this and didn't I serve you? And, and he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Um, so we don't want to be deceptive. We don't want to be self-deceived. Self Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. 
we can deceive ourselves, and we are still guilty for that. That the ability to self-deceive comes from our sin, right? Someone who is right, um, someone who is sinless, would not fall into self-deception, mm -hmm. right? That's something that we lie to ourselves because we prefer <laughs> the lie, right? There's a, that's an that's an old song, right? Old song, 80s, 90s. Lie to me, I promise I'll believe. <laughs> so, I forget the rest of the song, but yeah, just like I always thought that was a weird line, but it's true. <laughs> We'll, 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 we prefer to believe the lie. And so sometimes we'll lie to ourselves. We'll tell ourselves things to make us feel better. Um, so we need um, covering. We need Christ. Uh, we need to be careful about not presuming. When these things become apparent to us, and I didn't get anywhere near as far. I thought I'd get a little bit further. I feel like this is valuable, and so I hope this is encouraging to you and helping you just think about these things because we never want to take it for granted. I, I feel like... You know, you have that branch of uh, evangelicalism where people think of, um, I got my ticket punched. You know, I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. I'm good. I'm saved. Um, and yet nothing in their life would indicate that. You know, if you have to tell people you're a Christian and they're shocked, <laughs> you know, and they've known you for a long time, that's, eh, you got to work on that. <laughs> Um, again, you're not working for your salvation, but the, the things that we do manifest our love and our gratitude towards Christ. Um, and so we don't want to just assume as these people often did, you know, and they're an example to us. And Paul says as much that they're an example to us, you know, the Israelites and, and what they did and how they were punished to recognize that God does not suffer fools, you know, in that way. He's, he's not to be mocked. Um, if we tell ourselves that we're God's people because we prayed, we went down an aisle, we did something like that, these were God's covenant people. Um, is, it, is it Jeremiah or is it, it says, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. You know, they think we have God's favor. We have relationship with him and they have no idea. You know, they are self-deceived. They, they think that they have God's favor and yet God's wrath is just welling up and ready to pour over um, and spill out on them. And so, I mean, God is gracious. He gives the sacrifices to give away to um, that there might be forgiveness, that there might be purification, that God might dwell with them and they might dwell with God. Um, but it's if this is for unintentional sin, we just have to recognize just how serious um, sin is. So, um, not quite an hour, but I'm not even going to try to move on to the next thing. Um, I don't even know if I got finished with the first thing. Any questions or comments about what we did cover? No, he'll talk another 20 minutes. <laughs> Who said that? Um, Erica. I can make any or no, I'm just kidding. That all sin is technically intentional? Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, because it says right here, <laughs> if it's unintentional. No. Um, like, I might I might play, <laughs> we can play devil's advocate to make an argument about scripture. I don't like that. That doesn't seem like good terminology at all. Um, you know, when I think about 
when I think about that, when it says unintentional here, keep in mind, there are ceremonial things that for them not to do it, that God has commanded to do it. It is sinful because God has said, don't do it. And yet there are certain things that are done away with. You know, there's things that he is um, teaching them through pictures and stuff like that. The dietary laws, the, the sacrifices and how you do them. Um, if you mess up in that, it might be unintentional because this is not something that would be like, you know, general revelation or natural revelation where, you know, depending on how you want to use that kind of terminology, where it's a moral issue. You know, people kind of, because they have the law of God written on their hearts, I know it's wrong to like take Jake's wallet <laughs> and take his cash, right? Like, I can't really make the argument. Like, I had no idea. We didn't just do that, right? Like, I know I don't want to be stolen from. Yet, um, if I don't greet Jake in a particular way when he walks in the door, if it's what's required that's missing the mark, it, it is a sin by the technical definition, and it requires covenant to show the holiness of God, but it's not something I intentionally did. Um, so are there things that we can do sin that um, is unintentional, like we wouldn't know? Like it says in another, I don't know if it was this chapter, but it's um, something to the effect of um, if someone sins and they, and they didn't realize it and then they're made aware. Right. So yeah. I was thinking, you know, could it be more along those lines, you know? That could be, yeah, that could be part of it too. So I, I wouldn't, I would say it's certain sins possibly. I mean, the fact that we have a sin nature, that's why, that's why we need the burnt offering, that whole thing. We're like... Because, it, you know, the, the total depravity or, you know, as R.C. would call it, the, the radical corruption. Like, we are so thoroughly tainted by sin that we don't see things clearly. And, you know, some, some of us, we recognize big things are sins and then we start dealing with them. We get saved and then we start realizing little things that we do all the time that we never even realized, mm -hmm. you know, was a sin. I remember uh, Pastor Pete from our previous church, like... They had a guy who was coming to the men's group, and he'd gotten saved, and he's all excited. He goes, oh, man, I tell you what, I was at the mall, and this guy took my parking spot. You know, I was right there. I was waiting, and the guy just ducked in. He goes, a couple weeks ago, I'd have got out. I'd have pulled him out of the car and given him a beat, and he'd never forget. I said, I let him get all the way in the mall, and then I just slashed his tires. <laughs> like, oh, like, oh, praise God, and oh, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> you know, so... For for his mindset, like he had showed tremendous restraint, and he felt like, look, praise God. I'm like, well, yes. However, you know. So I mean, we start to realize just how sinful we are, and little things that we do all the time, and we think nothing of, is just like, oh, that's actually heinous in God's sight. He's he's not pleased with that at all. I think there's a, I think there's an aspect to that. You know, when we're when we're suppressing the, the knowledge of God, I mean he doesn't just say by accident, he says in unrighteousness. So there is an aspect of like we are in sin and suppressing that truth. And to every detail that plays out, um, 
well, we sin by nature. So sometimes in our in our human way of thinking, like it's un, unintentional because we're not even aware of it being a sin necessarily. We're, we're blind to things. We're blind to certain too. things. We're still guilty. And this is the point of this. If you do something unintentionally, if you're blind to sin, you live in a culture where we, we eat our neighbor, right? We're cannibals. So we won the fight. We get to eat them. That's how it works. And th if that's all he knows, well, they should still know they're, they're image bearers of God. And it just shows just how, just how hard-hearted that particular people group have become like just how far they are away from the light of the gospel you know i mean missionaries come in and, and they see people who were headhunters and cannibals and do all this you know they're doing human sacrifice and all of a sudden they're changing everything they're still guilty um if you're not aware um and you do something you know you could say humanly speaking it was unintentional i didn't know that was wrong I mean, I didn't beat the guy up. I just gave him something to teach him a lesson for next time. You know, so he's thinking he did a good thing. If it's unintentional, you still require a sacrifice. You become aware of it. It's like, oh, that's still sin. Ignorance uh, is no excuse of the, for the law, right? You, you have whether you say you know or you don't know. To a degree, foundationally, we're guilty, and we know we're guilty. Poor Maria is waiting desperately. Go ahead. <laughs> Don't slash your tires after. <laughs> well, can I just say something really quick before she... Yes. You know, Scripture says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. And that's very comforting because mm -hmm. I know there are things that I've done that I'm not aware of yet, mm -hmm. or I have forgotten about, mm -hmm. or whatever, and I know... I'm okay. keeping a list, don't worry. No. <laughs> You're keeping a list, yeah. No, don't but, do that. But I know, <laughs> I know Christ knows. Right, amen. But if I'm, if I'm coming to him, and I'm humbling myself, and I, and mm -hmm. I am confessing the sins that I am aware of, mm -hmm. you know, I know the rest of the promise of that verse. Mm -hmm. I know he is covering me, amen. and he is cleansing me. Amen. So, if I... Mm -hmm. Of all unrighteousness, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's that's such a, a comforting promise, you know, because unfortunately, I think we are, you know, somewhat all well, a little bit self-deceived, mm -hmm. and we need to be aware of it. Mm -hmm. um, we need to, you know, be accountable to others. That's why we need, the, know, body. Why we need the body of Christ, mm -hmm. exactly. You know, there's no lone ranger Christians, mm -hmm. and um, be in the Word, you know, and being washed by the Word of the Word. But I, I just think of that verse, you know. That's excellent. And what does the psalmist say? If, if Lord, if you should count iniquities, who could stand? Yeah, because he knows. He is, like Joel said, you know, Christ, he knows. He knows the standard. He, he's perfect. And God knows when we're, we're, when we're sinning and, you know, even a thought comes into our mind and we're just so used to thinking that way. We're right. not even aware of just how sinful that is in, in God's eyes. And yet... When we are confessing the sins that we are made aware of, and we're showing that our heart is repentant and turned towards God, wanting to be pleasing in His sight, He's merciful and He cleanses us mm -hmm. uh, from all unrighteousness. So, excellent. Amen. Right. My last question <laughs> is um, in reference to how you said that there are some sins that are not necessarily like a moral sin, such as like making sure that you do maybe a certain sacrifice the correct way mm -hmm. or maybe it's something like just eating and just making sure 
judicial, moral, and ceremonial laws are very close. So, are you going to talk <laughs> I'll tell you. You know, we're doing things right in this house when people say, Have you read Monson? <laughs> Actually, Canon Press just put out a thing, but I don't I think it was uh, from Monson. Yeah. There's, it might have been defensive based on There's there's you know, people go back and forth with how you would break down uh the law if you look at it. But Sorry. No, it's okay. so you you'd have the moral, uh the judicial or civil and uh the ceremonial. Now keep in mind for them, um, any law is a moral law. If God says do something, you do it, right? If he says don't do something, you don't do it. Obedience is always an issue of morality if you're aware of it. You know, if it's, if it's special positive re revelation, like he is telling you this is what I expect of you, it's a moral issue whether you obey that or not. Um, but in terms of for the unbeliever, uh, that's actually not even the word I'm looking for. Um, for the, I mean, yes and no. Um, for the the Gentile, for the one you know in this time period without the positive revelation of the law, you know, codified and do this that and that, there are certain things that they would know um, are sin, right? We think of the moral law. Um, but then even the you know civil or judicial law. Well, how do you punish uh, stealing? You know, um, some people they they'll cut your hand off. <laughs> That's not justice, right? Um, God gives us how we should do it. But they might not know. Well, what is the? They might know it's wrong. They might know it needs to be punished. But would they know the specific way to execute justice in that case? Um, you know. Would they know that certain animals shouldn't be eaten? I mean, those are things that God, well, not, I believe that there's still application for, you know, the judicial civil laws. You know, in context, I think there's guiding principles that would help us to understand. I don't think if you steal something, locking you up for 15 years on the taxpayer's dime is justice, right? Um, but obviously our context in, in modern America compared to what they were dealing with then, there'll be some differences um, because there's, there's just some different things going on. But there are guiding principles about how we ought to do it. But the ceremonial laws, you know, um, those sacrifices, um, the, the, the things about, you know, clean and unclean, um, the dietary laws, those things that are removed, like you wouldn't have necessarily like a moral guidance in your conscience to say, I can't have lobster, that would be sinful, right? If God tells you not to have lobster, now it's a moral issue for you. Um, did I answer the question the way you're... What? I'm sorry. You were at... You, you said something. You can't pause. I'll just start talking. I'm so sorry. Oh my goodness. I tell you. I forgot my question. Where's the exit? <laughs> Law, but it's not necessarily stated in the Bible. It's just like God had an intention for everything that's basically like under the sun that He created. He had an intention for how it was supposed to 
function and be carried out. And, um, you know, I think about, like, how Satan oftentimes he distorts whatever God had in him. Right. And so, are, do you think that there are things in the world that... Don't interrupt her. <laughs> I'm trying desperately to wait and listen so I hear it so I can answer it properly and not just go off on a ramble. So do you think there are things in the world that have been distorted that are now just like a part of our society um, that are considered sinful, but they're not necessarily specifically stated in the Bible? Just a distortion from like... Are there things that are sinful that are not stated specifically in the Bible? Yeah, probably. I, in fact, if I gave it much thought, I'd probably start naming things. Because, um, I love Lawrence. Uh, as he often points out, um, the, law, the law of God is like common law. You know, you have the moral law. Um, it's not like statutory law. Like if... Look, we have the law of Israel in a book, and we actually have much more. You know, we have the prophets, and, and you know, we have the Psalms, we have the New Testament, um, but we have like the law that He had given them um, by which to promote justice and righteousness in the land. The New York State Penal Code <laughs> is many, many volumes trying to figure out each little thing. Um, and God's law doesn't work like that. Like, we have the Ten Commandments. And uh, as I'm often uh, fond of saying, uh, reminding uh, Pastor Jensen when preaching through Ephesians, you know, there's a verse that says, you know, let the thief steal no longer, but let him work that he might have something to share. You know, work with his own hands that he might have something to share. And, and Pastor Jensen preached a sermon talking about all the different ways you could steal. You know, things that aren't mentioned in Scripture, um, principles by which we should be living, and we often don't even give it a, a second thought. So they are sinful, like there's a, a proper purpose for doing things, and, and, uh, and we twist it. You know, we have a tendency um, to pervert what is good and what is right and to uh, take it beyond what God had intended. When we think of like healthcare and stuff like that, um, you know, we are not anti-science. We are not anti, uh, you know, medical care. Luke, the physician, <laughs> he was a physician. I can't tell. Physician. physician. He was a doctor. That's easier to say. Uh, me and my... Me and my pronunciation. Um, but people are like, oh, well, you must be against that because you have to pray for healing or, if, you know, God. People twist all sorts of things, right? But God... I mean, you could even argue in that case that back then a physician, it wasn't pharmaceutical medication. It was actually more herbalism. It's more of like a holistic approach mm -hmm. to what physicians... Before we get into that, I want to give... Oh, my... Goodness, are we impatient? Speaking of sin, I, which one is that? No, I'm just kidding. Poor Maria. Like she takes so much minutes. abuse. Go ahead. Sorry, okay. We'll come back to that. I know that's going to be a rational. Okay. Um, no, so two examples that I've been thinking of, like, unintentional sin, in terms of, like, modern application. Uh, the first one is manipulation. Or, you know, like an attempt to subvert God's will without realizing it, where sometimes we will do nice things with the hope of procuring a certain result. Hmm. However, 
that was Is that unintentional or is it Well, it's the intent to do something if you're self deceived, right? Yeah, well yeah. it's self deception but mm -hmm. it's it's not always cognizant. Like we might be doing a good act or a good deed, but it's with the hopes that it'll have certain results. And mm -hmm. so that's ambition, that's selfishness, it's pride. Mm -hmm. And we're not necessarily cognizant that we're trying to be proud or to gain our own glory. It's just kind of an instinctual response, but that's more nefarious than we realize. Secondly, and this is um, something Jerry Bridges taught me, is like sometimes people will just pray like, pray, like, God, I want to, you know, do what's good for me, but I want to follow in accordance with your will. Please give me a sign. And so many times we're told not to pray for signs, but to be brilliant, to be searching the word and to discern for ourselves, you know, to liberate what is true. And Christ actually condemns those who request a sign and he wants to give them so many. And, you know, after, like, the age of the apostles ends, like, we're told not to, like, casting lots is not how we're supposed to, you know, make our important life decisions, like, and, you know, praying for a sign as opposed to, you know, going to God's word is an example of, like, how we can unintentionally sin, in my opinion. Thank you for that. No, those are... Those are ways that it can be unintentional. And like I said, if, if you're doing something uh, at a self-deception, again, we're still guilty. You know, whether, you know, sometimes manipulation is done purposefully. Like people are plotting it out and thinking like, how can I work this to my advantage? How can I, you know, pull these strings? And sometimes we do. We, we do things and it's so... It could be just second nature, like we're just trying to get things done or whatever. We're not thinking through, oh, I'm trying to manipulate, I'm trying to, they're just, it's like breathing. They're just, this is what I'm doing. Um, and, and some of it comes through self-deception and we're still guilty, you know. We still um, need to have that acknowledged and stuff. And this is one of the things where we need the body. You know, uh, you know me, I'm constantly harping on the, the importance of body life, how we need each other. And as we're going to be talking about Leviticus and, and the idea of corporate responsibility, that like we are a people, you know, we're not just individuals. We're not, you know, just responsible for us and ourselves and that's it. We have a responsibility towards each other. We have a responsibility um, as a people, as a church. We have a responsibility towards uh, as a nation. So we have that. And, you know, so many times, you know, it depends on what church you we've been on a theological journey. We've been in a number of different churches and talking about like, well, what's my spiritual gift and how can I be a blessing to the body or how can I serve the body? Or like some churches, they think like the only way you, know, you can serve the church is if you join the nursery, you know, you, you do some children's program or, you know, you, you just do something like a program that that's prescribed already. They already have, like, you're just trying to plug you into something. The body is so much more than that, right? You know, of course, first of all, like the teachers, the preachers, the pastors, they're supposed to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. The things that you do that people might not even know about, that the way you're ministering to someone, Jesus says, if you give a cup of cold water, right, in my name, you're serving him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when he when he's judging people in, in the end of Matthew and he's separating them out on the on the right and the left, he goes, you know, you, know, you, you, you fed me, you clothed me, you visited me in prison, enter into the glory. He goes, when did we see you naked and, and, you know, and clothe you? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you in prison and visit you? 
He goes, as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. <laughs> Don't ever take for granted how your service in, in, in someone's life that's not seen by anyone else, it's seen by Christ. Mm -hmm. And he says, well done, enter into my glory. And then on the flip side, when you don't, when you don't look to serve others, when you're thinking about yourself and your own personal little kingdom and your own personal little life and your own success and your own happiness, Jesus says, you saw me hungry and you didn't feed me. You saw me naked and you didn't clothe me. You saw me in prison and you didn't visit me. Away. And they're like, when did we see you? All these things. And he goes, as much as you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And they're judged. Right? That program mentality is so like um, American Christianity. It's so easy. I put in my 30 minutes and then I walk away. And I think really body life is much more involved and so much harder than that. And it's it's really, you know, we go as we as we go, right? We right. make disciples as we go. Right. And it's 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 everyday life. It's it should be encompassing our life. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be I put in my hour, I checked that off. Check that box. And I serve Jesus today. Yeah. That's that's really American Christianity. We yeah. we we made these programs. We're individuals. To make, we to go make everything easier. We punch and that's, the clock. That's not. <laughs> we punch out. That's not it. And we're done. And that ain't it, Chief. That's right. What does body life look like? What your what your spiritual gifting will be? What do you have a passion for? What does God put on your heart? What do you see that other people don't see? That'll be a sign as what your spiritual gift is if you're in Christ. Because everyone has at least one. And it's not for you, it's for the body. Which is so bizarre that we think, oh, I just, just me and Jesus. And Jesus says, get over there. <laughs> He's like, no, you're part of the body. I, you know, I'm the head, you're the body with them, right? Um, and that's how we serve. It, it's meant for the building up of the body. It's not that like, oh, you have the gift of evangelism, so you're the only one who can do evangelism. No. That's your strength. You're going to help other people learn how to do it. This one over here is merciful, and they have the gift of mercy, and they're going to show you how to be more merciful. <laughs> so as a body, we are learning from each other. We're setting an example for each one and encouraging them that we might go out and do likewise. We're, you know, No one is just the total package where they have everything. <laughs> we all have strengths. We all have weaknesses, and we learn from each other. And even... Sitting around the table in fellowship, even having hospitality, even having conversations and sharing what God has revealed to you. And, and you know, in reading, in reading the word, God brought up something and that you share it and God uses it to encourage someone else because they're going through something, but they're embarrassed to talk about it. They're like, oh, I need to hear that, you know, or you're sharing something, how you're blessed because, you know, I had this opportunity to, to, to talk to a coworker to serve some, and someone else like, you know what? If they can do it, I got I got this coworker who I talk to all the time. I, I should I should bring up the conversation that way, and I'll have a chance to you know to, to share the gospel. We need each other, and the less fun part at times, although even these things can bring us out of our comfort zone, is like, hey, um, I saw the way you interacted with so and so, you know, or you you said this the other day, and I'm like, you know, I kind of like you know. It's not really honoring to God. You know, slashing people's tires, yes, it's better than beating them up, but still not the same as, you know, striving for holiness. And so you have these opportunities to, um, we need each other 
for our blind spots when we have those unintentional sins well how do you find out you know perhaps through reading the word perhaps by someone saying something to us you know there's a lot of sanctification that happens in the body you know when we have relationships with each other um we're sinners bumping into sinners and that stuff comes out but it's good for us because if if we were just by ourselves we think we're the best person in the world <laughs> no one's got a problem with me of course i keep everyone at arm's length so they can't have a problem with me but then you know we can point each other out like hey you know and encourage other to grow in sanctification did you remember what you wanted to yeah, say? Yeah, I was just thinking like what you had said, you know, you're sitting there, you know, in the evangelism class today, mm -hmm. and I don't think that's my particular gifting. I, I find myself, you know, in other situations. So so I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh boy, but but it challenged me. I'm like, no, this this is something I'm supposed to be doing. And I recognize this is obviously Rob's spiritual gift, you know, mm -hmm. Mr. Spinarelli. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but, you know, it, it's good to recognize, like you were saying, you know, we, we see someone who has the gift of mercy and, mm -hmm. and you're like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be doing more that way. Mm -hmm. So maybe we don't have the gift, but that doesn't, you know, we are all supposed to be evangelizing. We are all supposed to be being merciful in some way. Mm -hmm. So it does um, encourage us. And I, I felt that way today, you know, sitting, mm -hmm. you know, as we, we did that study. Mm -hmm. So I was just pointing that out. You know, people are like, oh, you know, you have the gift of teaching, right? But I can never do that. Sure you can, right? First of all, I'm not the best teacher I know. I know lots of better teachers. I learn from them. But you'll have opportunities and you'll need to teach, you know? Um, you have people in your life. I mean, husbands are told to, you know, um, help to uh, consecrate their wives, right? Washing them in the water of the word. So you got to teach your wife if you have children you teach your children if you just have young people or or new believers they could be any age and you have an opportunity to share truth from scripture you're teaching right it's it's going to look different we, we have people who have strengths and it's a natural gifting but we all have the need to do those things and so we learn from each other so Body life, I will say, over and over and over again, is so vital, you know. And because we do have this idea as Christians in the in the West that it's very individualistic, it's me and my personal savior, and like we punch in the church and we punch out, and I'll see you next week. And like, oh, why isn't the church? Why are we so weak? Why are you know why is all this mess in the world? Because we're not living as a body. <laughs> you know, they're supposed to see us and know us by our love, like. How well can they see your love? If you're like, all right, see you next week. You know, that's all. You know, we see each other for an hour, and, and that's it. We need to be a body. You know, we need to be working together for the kingdom. So there's much more to be said about that, but I'm at an hour and 20 minutes. Shocker, I know. For me to go over time, I don't have a time anymore. I'm just trying to get done before 9 so people have a chance to talk. Um, did you have a comment? Felt like you wanted to, no? You don't want to pull the trigger on that? He goes, no. He goes, I got to get out of here sometime. All right. We will close in prayer and um, we'll have a little time of fellowship and then I'll, uh, we'll see you next week. No, just kidding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Um, Father, even as we um, might get uh, 
off track a bit. We're never really off track, Lord, as we're speaking about you, as we're speaking about your word. Lord, we're just not where we expected to be. Um, but we thank you, Lord. We thank you because your word has given us um, the framework in which to understand um, who you are, who we are, who we are in relation to you, our need for you, our need for um, purification, our need for atonement through the blood. Lord, we thank you for Christ being that perfect sacrifice for taking away our sin, though we have rebelled against you. Lord, we thank you for the mercy and for the forgiveness that we find in Christ. Lord, as we continue to study your word, we pray that you would um, even as we think deeper on these things, as we um, use the giftings of, of the commentators and the teachings and the insights, Lord, that you would help us to see things more in your word and, and pick out things that we would pass by um, in the past. Lord, that we can see the application today. And Lord, indeed, that we would love you more and we would serve you better, that we would bring you glory and advance your kingdom. So we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to the Reformed Rookie Podcast, where we aim to teach Reformed theology to beginners or rookies. Be sure to look us up on the web at www.reformedrookie.com, where you will find many more learning tools and aids to help you grow in your understanding of all things Reformed. And remember, Semper Reformanda. Dr. Luther, are you prepared to retract these writings? In some, I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Will you recant, or will you not? Here it is. I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me.